on this weekend edition of Riding the 3x3. Patrick Fetch and myself, Russ Heltman, dive into the NBA morass, all the injuries and the abrupt retirement of LaMarcus Aldridge. Then we get into the Cleveland Browns. Are they contenders and are they making the most sneaky moves to get to that level after bringing in Jadavion Clowney on a one-year deal? We close things out on this Jackie Robinson Day, April 15th, 2021 with an ode to the legend who made his debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers as the only and first African-American male in Major League Baseball. we got a really fun story tagging along there as well with uh, his old teammate in the minor leagues, George Shuba. All that coming up next on Riding the 3x3. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and wherever you get your live streams. Also on podcast forums like Google, Apple, and Spotify. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get into lane number one on Riding the 3x3. Welcome into another edition of Riding the 3x3. I am your host, Russ Heltman, as always, joined by my co-host across the line, Patrick Fetch, repping the uh, repping the company brand today. I love to see it as we are streaming live on uh, on my Facebook and Twitter page. You can go ahead and follow me at Russ Heltman 11. That's just going to be a, a nice, basic, original, true-to-form on the Twitter sphere, at Patrick Fetch. No numbers needed, nothing like that. As uh, we welcome him in, Pat, how are we doing? Great, man. I, I'm so ready. Rolling into an early weekend. I had tickets lined up for the Reds game all week. So that is a great feeling to have. I'm I'm ready, man. I'm ready to talk. We got some great stuff. I was dealing with a back thing earlier this week. I know you, you know about yeah. it. It was how was that? How was that? Let's get the update. Are we good? We're good to we're go. We're good. We're we're definitely on the up and up, but boy, anybody who's ever experienced like back spasms or just muscle cramps in your back, I first time I've ever dealt with something like that. My God, that was awful i was paralyzed it's crippling it's crippling you feel like a small child just 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 gasping for air as you just 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 cricket all over the place with the back i was trying to like conduct work meetings too too and i was like please forgive me as i just like cripple into my knees mid-meeting here like on and on it was absolutely awful to experience but it's uh we're back on the up and up we're back we are that we are. So we, we Pat was gonna do the show live from his bed, like going angle <laughs> vertical, and I was like, "Well, if I make Pat laugh, then it might be a problem mid show." And so uh, I was just like, "We're gonna give him the night off." We handled it, and and funny enough, Pat, as we get into these topics here, three big topics for the people. It's of course Jackie Robinson Day. We're gonna leave the best for last in that case. Uh, give a little ode to Jackie Robinson, some fun facts, and I got a really cool story from the undefeated that I wanted to share on here for everybody. And then we also have the NBA to tip things off. Luka Doncic with a just stupid buzzer beating win against the Memphis Grizzlies last night. And then the abrupt retirement of LaMarcus Aldridge a few days after I was giving him praise, eating crow solo for, uh, for the Nets buyouts being actual contributors so far, the, uh, the, um, arrhythmic heart pattern in, uh, with his, uh, with his, uh, development over the past week popped up. And that of course prompted his, uh, his retirement. And we wish him all the best health, but, uh, let's get into it along with the Cleveland Browns uh, getting into the sandwich of today's three topics. They're making moves or one of those teams that you can't see a lot of holes in now that they have added Jadavion Clowney. Not that he puts them over the top, but that is something we're going to discuss here as we get through these three topics. But starting in the association, Pat, we have Luka Doncic hitting that buzzer beater to uh, to give the Dallas Mavericks a 114-113 victory. Grayson Allen leads the Grizzlies in points 
But going down the stretch there, he had a couple a uh, couple free throws to knock the knock the hopes of the Dallas Mavericks away, or at least get them uh, get them a chance to at least guarantee overtime. But it wasn't to be. They draw up uh, a play that ended up being very bad out of the timeout with about one second left. But it didn't matter because Luka Doncic splits the double team and just throws up some junk. Boom, swish, night, night, Grizzlies. Yeah, that game in a hole was a nice metaphor for the whole week in the NBA, which was what you just said was junk. I mean, for the for the Mavericks it's to been be bad, playing, Pat. it's been bad it quality basketball. And we're gonna dive into just the poor news, right? I mean, we've had AD and LeBron out, so the Lakers have been nothing. But then the Lakers still – who did they beat the Nets by, like, 40, right? Without yeah, when, two, when Kyrie got tossed. And my yeah. Hornets have had, what, 70% of their scoring, Borrego, Coach Borrego said, 50% of their playmaking just wiped away. The other night I uh, laid a wager on my Hornets, not realizing Terry Rozier was also out. So we had Jalen McDaniels. We had a lot of people that know what uh, – who he played for, who he played for consortium out there for the Charlotte Hornets the other night. And Pat, I think uh, to tile that up with how bad the quality of play has been with the muck of the season right now, we had uh, an NBA record nine blowouts, 15 plus point game decisions, uh, I think on Friday night. So that was an NBA record for one uh, one NBA night slate. Not not something you want to see. And then the worst news of all, the team that we've been championing, we've been Nuggets guys for going on a year and a half now. And then Jamal Murray going down with the torn ACL. I mean, that was going to be the series of the playoffs, I think. I mean, I, for me, in my eyes, the whole NBA season was leading up to what the Nuggets were going to get to do in the playoffs because that's what I was most excited for. And, I mean, talk about raining on our parade, raining on everybody's parade. That one was tough. But, so, yeah, I mean, that game was just a metaphor for it all, like a junk late three from from Luka in a game that shouldn't have ever been close. Like, the Mavericks should not be playing close games against the Grizzlies because they should be a much better team. But it's been – it's, I think everyone's just packing it in, mailing it until the playoffs. Like, what do you think? I mean, the Nets are sitting. I mean, I think I tried to hear somebody said they're sitting four Hall of Famers, which I think might be a big claim or have four <laughs> Hall of Famers that were hurt. But, I mean, it seems like everyone has just packed it in until the playoffs already. No one even cares to play the rest of the regular season. It gets that way when you're down about 15 with, uh, with five minutes to go in the second quarter, right? And you're like, all right, we can make a big push before halftime make our coach real happy, have him uh, pumping us up going to the break with about an eight-point deficit, or we could just mail it in, go down 22, and uh, and get on the bus back to the hotel, which uh, hopefully these guys start I, – I, I, Pat, you're vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I, I got it done, and we went through it. I, I got through the worst of the pain, and we could start getting back to normal life here. That could be a big incentive for these guys, maybe down the stretch of the season, thinking – all right, if I get vaccinated, maybe the year in the playoffs especially will start to feel like a normal playoffs. But you're you're right, man. I'm with you. These blowouts and these games, as soon as they start to get a little bit away from these teams, which happens every single night in every single NBA season, but the talent level is so close that by the end with five minutes left, if a team that's down 15 with four minutes left in the second quarter isn't down 25, they're down 10 to 12 and they're ready to fight back still with uh with the game on the line once you get that down that big it's just been really brutal for these teams especially when they're so decimated to come back it's one thing if you have your full exposure of a lineup but they just have not had it and the uh, mavericks get the job done like we mentioned uh putting a bow on that game 114 113 and jamal murray man let's let's focus in on that a little bit before uh before we get off of the nba subject 
My poor Nuggets, Pat. I was champion them. You were champion them. We, I, I laid hard-earned money on the Nuggets as my sleeper team to be uh, to come out of the Western Conference and maybe maybe lift that Larry O'Brien Trophy for the first time as a franchise. And they have the greatest team they've ever had, Pat. Never had a team this good. It's it's never been this good in the history of the franchise. You know what happens? You get a non-contact torn ACL on a guy who uh, was playing for a team that I joked with my buddy had six games in seven nights. They were playing literally five to six games last week going into this week. In a in a in a nine-day span, they had six games, Pat. It's insane what the schedule is like right now. And I'm not gonna blame that completely because Jamal Murray, he had missed some games before that, and it wasn't on the same knee that was injured. Uh, for the, that we, that he met, had missed the previous games for, but that's the thing with these injuries. You get one body part goes out, another one goes out, boom, boom, boom. The house of cards fall down, and that's what the Nuggets season turns into—a disastrous house of cards. Yeah, I mean the NBA schedule just seems like it doesn't work anymore, right? I mean, I think that's what we're seeing, especially coming off the weird COVID year in the bubble. Like nobody wants to play basketball at this time. You just laid it out perfectly, all the scenarios that are going on, and so. I, I mean, listening to you speak, I literally just thought, why aren't they doing what soccer is? We we saw how pretty much how popular a shorter regular season and an extended sort of playoff or tournament was for the NBA with the bubble. I mean, that was great sort of, you know, it was great competition the way that the whole playoffs proceeded was well. So I hope that the NBA sees what's going on with all of these games. Like we're seeing injuries. I mean, how many of the best players have been injured? Everybody on the Nets has been hurt. We're losing Jamal Murray, who was the star of the bubble. LeBron and AD have been out. And so I mean, I'm sure there's countless um, that I'm missing as well. And so I think that the NBA should definitely be looking at this season and just – I hope – I mean, Adam Silver has been one to adjust. The NBA has been one to adapt. But it's uh, definitely bringing down the quality of basketball. And I think it would be great to just see more tournament action. I mean, they said they want to do the – I don't think a, a midseason. I don't like the idea of a midseason tournament. I don't know if I can get behind that. Like this isn't college basketball. This is, you know, this isn't freaking uh, AAU basketball. So like, I think it has to be end of the season type deal. But expanding the playoffs, shortening the regular season, making it more demand. You know, I feel like make every game more of a, an event. Like the NBA is such a great thing. So it is disappointing that we're and we're losing all these players for the playoff push. So. I hope the right. NBA and it's does funny you game. say it's not AAU, Pat, and that's exactly what Jamal Murray compared this season to, is it's like playing AAU weekend basketball every single night. And for people who don't get what he's referencing there, these teams are just going in there playing two, three, four games every Saturday and Sunday against the best competition, which a lot of uh, scouts and evaluators think that's the best way to do it, which you can see what the, the point they're making there is. But uh, But getting back to the original point, it's just been an absolute marathon and a sprint at the same time for these guys. And the the fact that, like I mentioned, the COVID testing, maybe if they can get rid of that aspect, get rid of that drag yeah. on the day. Because I honestly, I've not been COVID tested. I don't know if you have, Pat, but I can only imagine you're going in there, you're spending 20, you're spending an hour every single day, basically, to go in and get a COVID test. It's just it's it's definitely going to be a drag and it's definitely going to zap the motivation like we've been talking about for these guys, especially when you're getting down 15 with about four minutes left in the, <laughs> in the, in the second quarter. But uh, less than 20 games left for every single team, I believe, now on the NBA slate. We're getting to the play in tournament with uh, about a month away. I think it's a uh, I think it starts May 14th or 15th. So we're going to get that rolling the seven through 10 seeds in each conference and a team that was not even close to the seven. Uh, 10 seed range they're right up there at the top of the eastern conference but the brooklyn nets 
who uh, who signed Lamarcus Aldridge to the prorated veterans minimum right over five hundred thousand dollars for the rest of the season a couple weeks back after he was bought out. He announces his retirement um, on Twitter, saying that uh, to quote today, I write this letter with a heavy heart. My last game I played while dealing with an irregular heartbeat. Later on that night, my rhythm got even worse, which really worried me. The next morning, I told the team uh, I was going to the hospital and getting it checked out. I'm better now, but what I felt with my heart that night was still one of the scariest things I've experienced. With that being said, I made the decision to retire from the NBA for 15 years. I put basketball first, and now it's time I put my health and family first. One of those guys, Pat, that I, it's 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 a teetering Hall of Fame case, I think. he's He's a... He's a pillar of the NBA, the last of a dying era, a dinosaur, so to speak, but a guy that over the last 15 years coming out of Texas, he outlasted Brandon Roy, outlasted Greg Oden, connected those two young uh, cores together between them and Damian Lillard when he comes in in the early aughts, or not the early aughts, the early teens, and they get the first victory in a playoff series for the Portland Trailblazers in almost uh, 15 years when they take out the Houston Rockets on, I believe that was the first uh, kind of night-night session, night-night session uh, for uh, for Dame Lillard when he uh, hit the buzzer-beating three. So Greg Oden, or not Greg, what am I talking about? <laughs> Marcus Aldridge is one of those guys that goes down in Portland Trailblazers history and Spurs history. The end of that Spurs dynasty, you can't tell the story of it without LaMarcus Soldridge. They bring him in after floundering right near the uh, the 50 win mark, which that was unacceptable for the Spurs back uh, when we were like, what, freshmen in college, that 2014, 2015, 15, 16 era. And they bring in LaMarcus Aldridge, win 67 games, except the Warriors win 73. And we know how that goes. They uh, get bounced by the Oklahoma City Thunders in the semifinals, and they go on to have that epic uh, epic series against the Golden State, and we have the epic finals between Golden State and Cleveland. But one of those teams that if the Warriors aren't there, it's kind of similar to Michael Jordan in the 90s. If if uh, if he's not there in front of Charles and all those guys, they probably get a ring. And if uh, LaMarcus Aldridge isn't in front of the Spurs in the beginning of last decade and in front of the Warriors while on the Spurs at the end of this past decade, you can maybe write a different story, but a great career for LaMarcus Aldridge and a post-up king, Pat. He took over a 1,000 more post-ups, according to Second Spectrum, than any player in the NBA from uh, from the time they started tracking the data in 2013-14 till, uh, till I believe, last season. So, claps to Marcus speaks, Aldridge. He knew what he was exactly, good at. Yeah, speaks exactly what I'm going to say. I love your point about him blending eras, and I think that's what might – sort of sneak him into the Hall of Fame. He is one of those true sort of stretch fours who played big with with the Blazers, was able to, you know, he was before the NBA stretched the three-point line, and he was sort of one of the first guys who was able to, you know, one of the only guys who was able to last in both eras. And so I, I like that for his Hall of Fame case. But I, it's hard because I don't – he didn't have any Hall of Fame moments. I, no. I don't know. like No championships. Know, He's going to be right. Like, it's going to be like Joe Johnson. That's what it's going to be like. And this is the wow. thing, Pat. This is according to Kevin Pelton. Um, no player that has made more seven or more all-star teams currently eligible for the Hall of Fame is not in it. So that goes back to, uh, to uh, Joe Johnson now. When he becomes eligible, he'll have that same, uh, same kind, of, uh, kind of case. And then Jack Sickum, who was elected in 2019, uh, from Kevin Pelton here. He was the last eligible player with at least seven all-star appearances since the 50s that had not made 
the Hall of Fame. And then uh, tie up tie a little bow up on the uh, the stats here. Uh, Aldridge had fifty two hundred thirty four post ups from twenty thirteen. Uh, 14 to 2018 19 according to kevin pelton that was his last year as an all-star and uh he his team pat 0.978 points per chance 20th among the 50 players with at least 1,000 post-ups in that span so he knew what he was good at and he uh he buttered his bread well i don't i probably wouldn't vote for him to make the hall of fame but you know trailblazers hall of fame put him in there put him in the trailblazers hall of fame you gotta each got yeah. that, yeah, got that first victory in over a decade in the playoffs you gotta love it absolutely right. no doubt in my mind there you go. Pat's on board. Pat's on board. Pat will welcome on the end of the 80 acres farms. He's, he's, he's like, well, Marcus, if you want to come get, come get some good, 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 clean work out here after you're retired, 80 acres farms, man. Hey, no free ads, no free ads on, <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> oh man. All right. Lane number two here on riding the three by three. We're getting to the NFL, the gridiron. We're going to hit the hammer, the uh, draft talk hard next week, week after next. But before then we got to touch on, a uh, signing that I think kind of has flown under the radar a little bit with the fervor around all the draft quarterbacks right now. Jadavion Clowney uh, signing a one-year deal with the Cleveland Browns, looking to revive his career after going sackless last year in what can't be described uh, besides anything else other than a disaster with the Tennessee Titans in his one year with, uh, with that squad. One-year deal worth up to $10 million. And the key factor here, Pat, is uh, – there wasn't a Miles Garrett in uh, in Tennessee, and they got one of those included. It's a fat. It's I love this move. First off, um, I think it's going to be great for Jadavion Clowney. I mean, for the Browns' sake, as a Steelers fan, I'm not a fan of this move. Same. I think it's going to make. I uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to make the Cleveland Browns' defense much much better. It's going to make their defensive line extremely dynamic and just harder to game plan against. And I thought of an exact parallel between what the Steelers had last year with TJ Watt on one side, the true just alpha dominant defensive end edge rusher who's going to win no matter what 60% of his, you know, one-on-ones. Therefore you have to double him giving Bud Dupree on the other side, free reign on one-on-ones all game, making Bud Dupree look like a fantastic defensive end. I think Jadavion Clowney is going to flourish in these one-on-ones that he'll get just because Miles Garrett just commands a double team every single play. You're playing with fire if you don't double him. And so I think it's going to be awesome, but I think it creates an incredibly interesting thought experiment, Russ. And who would you rather have, Bud Dupree or Jadavion Clowney? Because it seems like the Titans looked at the two said, we'll take Bud Dupree in this. We'll let – I think Jadavion will fit much better in a scheme where he's not maybe the 1A guy being game-planned against. And he's also going to be a true defensive end, not have to worry, I think, about any type of real coverage. So I think it's really just a perfect fit for both both the Browns and Jadavion. And I think the Titans are the only losers in this whole deal somehow. For sure. And uh, and I don't know about the Titans being losers, so to say. Like they that ten million dollars. It's it's like, ah, do we really want to give Jadavion another ten million dollar <laughs> deal when he gave us literally nothing last year? Like yeah. Jadavion Clowney's been a great pressure guy. He's done that. He's he's never really been a big sack maven, and that's the key factor here. Can he start to turn those pressures, those that ability to still affect teams off of double teams like he has so often in his career? Is third in uh, in the NFL since 2018 in double team rate. Uh, as a pass rushing edge, 28% of his snaps that only trails the Darius Smith 
and Michael Bennett over that period, according to ESPN Next Gen Stats. So that I anticipate coming down, Pat, could see below 20% of his snaps with double teams when you think about Miles Garrett being on the other side of the ball. And he seems motivated. He said, quote, I don't think everybody has gotten to see the person that they drafted yet. Talking about the Houston Texans when they took him number one overall. Uh, I think I'm working my way back towards that. And with my potential and the way I play the game, if I stay healthy, quote, I shouldn't be far away from being defensive player of the year. So he's coming in with motivation. He's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. And he knows if he doesn't perform this year, that's the last uh it's probably the last $10 million check or more he's going to be getting in his career. So all those factors lead me to join you in this train. I am scared of this signing. I am not a fan of it at all as a fan of an opposing team in the AFC North. And that that correlation, Pat, was very nice you made there with uh, with Bud Dupree and TJ Watt. I, I could see that playing out kind of similar way where Bud Dupree going into last year, correct me if I'm wrong, though, Pat, he wasn't considered as high level of a player as he started to get the praise for in November and December, but he started to hit his stride key in key ways. And well, the, we're not taking anything away, but TJ Watt had a big, had a big hand. He had everything to do with it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's beautiful when you have someone like TJ Watt, who just completely controls the, the, you know, the offensive lines game plan in so many ways, really. I mean, it, Bud Dupree got to play to his strength too, basically. They didn't ask him to do too much. The right. Steelers are very good with their, uh, with their defensive stunts and everything, but for the most part, Bud Dupree just had to use the advantage of his speed, get that outside shoulder, and, and you know beat the quarterback to the back of the the, the pocket. Basically, I think Jadavion Clowney will get a, you know the same opportunity where he'll get so many just one on one chances where he'll just be able to play his whole repertoire of moves. And I think he's just so strong, so athletic that he's bound to win so many of them just by being the more athletic guy. So. I, I think a lot of it depends on how good Miles Garrett can also be on the other side, right? If Miles Garrett isn't the defensive player of the year candidate that he was again this year, Jadavion Clowney is going to get more attention. So it is a bit of a give and take there. There, there needs to be some dominance on the other side. Or someone like Miles, like Miles Garrett has to be able to be more dynamic and not be game planned around, you know, where they just can sort of push a pocket a certain way. But I mean, the way TJ can go inside, outside, he beats the ball, you know, beats to the guy. He, can go in coverage. TJ is much more than just a defensive end. So that as well definitely helps Bud Dupree because he can just sort of, you know, horns back in his whole approach last year. It was not a lot of thinking for him. Mm-hmm. And Andrew Barry in this, uh, this ESPN piece from, from Jake Trotter quoted saying, uh, the other thing we love about Jadavion is his versatility, his ability to play across the entire front and impact the game regardless of his alignment. So it does sound like they're going to use him not only at the defensive end spot, they're going to slot him in on that rotation with Malik Jackson, with uh, Bruce yeah. Sheldon Richardson in there as well. So it, it's it's going to be very intriguing to see where he lines up, if they can kind of activate him in a similar way to a guy like J.J. Watt, who later on in his career has been moved around a little bit more to access his skills and his mental acumen. And it's worked out very well so far, or worked out well with him in the Texans. I just convinced myself while you were talking there that, yeah, probably be good for Jadavion to do a little bit more, maybe than just have so much pressure on him going for sack numbers, right? Move him around the field a little bit, throw him in coverage, confuse the, uh, the offense a little bit. I think that might be good for him, the whole mental psyche. Fun fact, Pat, on this signing here. The Browns now have three number one overall picks on their team. I want to take a guess at the last team to have three number one picks on that team 
And give me give me a guess on what player it was, who, who one of the picks was, real quick. I, I, the only one that was coming to mind was just like the Eagles back in the day with Mike. The Vick. dream team with Vince Young. <laughs> Wasn't he won one? Yeah, I, maybe. Did he go one that? No, that was the Mario Williams draft. I'm pretty sure he went. It went Williams, Bush, Young. Right? Isn't that how it went? Yeah, I think that's right. How it went. But Vic was Vic was number one overall though, right? He was. That's yeah. a good. Vic was the number one overall pick, I believe, in 2001. And this is also that's also the same year as this team, the last team to have uh, three okay. number one overall picks. The Washington Football Team with uh, get this murderer's row, Pat. We got to start with the best one, and then we'll. We'll leave the uh, scrubs for after that. Bruce How Smith, Hall of Famer. We'll give him that. Great, great player. But then we got Kajana Carter, Jeff George, and Dan Wilkinson. That is a murderer's row of number one overall <laughs> picks, Pat. That does not – if you're a Browns fan, you don't like seeing that as the last, uh, as the How last was I supposed number to get one that? overall pick collection. How was I supposed to get that team? That was unbelievable. But, I mean, I did – I was with my buddy. He's a big Browns fan, my buddy Andy, just the other day. And – I asked him, like, is Baker like, are you, can you win a Super Bowl Baker? Right. I mean, that's the question. Had- With this roster now, Pat, they sign John Johnson. They sure up the uh, the back end of that defense. They get you Davion Clowney in here now. You could argue the biggest issue they now have is linebacker, which they brought in Anthony Walker to sure up a little bit. I don't know how much that's going to do. Troy Hill, I can't I can't forget him and Malik Jackson, uh, cornerback or nickelback out of Hill and defensive tackle. In the case of Malik Jackson, it feels like. Baker Mayfield is the skeleton key here. And along with Baker Mayfield, it's his connection with Odell Beckham because he's going to have the requisite time now, Pat. He's going to have the requisite defense to support him. Can he figure out a way to make the connection between quarterback and receiver, Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield, a top five level offensive threat based on the world and the sphere of talent they're operating in? Because in my eyes, Pat, I get Odell's coming off an ACL, but I'm I'm starting to get to the point where if you're healthy, ready to go off an ACL, I'm expecting I'm expecting normal play out of you in today's today's day and age. We're not quite there yet with an Achilles, even though Kevin Durant is is, is putting that in the ether. But with an ACL, it's starting to get there, uh, dating back to Adrian Peterson coming off of one and getting an MVP and seeing the success we've had of all the players since then. So to me. That connection is the biggest key to them ultimately reaching their highest ceiling on offense because defensively, I think they've done enough to shore up what was their biggest weakness last year, a mediocre efficiency type of uh, defensive attack. I'll believe it when I see it with Odell Baker and the Browns. Right. Just, there's nothing about what I've seen in him on that offense and what they've done that makes me believe in the slightest bit that he's going to be successful ever in a Browns uniform. So. I'd be cutting bait. I would have cut bait long ago if I was the Browns on that, especially with how good the chemistry with uh, Baker and Landry is. And they, he, there is a number one there. Landry is a true, at least, you know, he he is what you need, I guess, is what you're expecting from Odell. Anything else is just sort of icing on the cake from your receiving core just because of how good they are together. So I, mm-hmm. I don't get the Odell thing. He's just taking up space and attention. Pat's not sold. Pat's not sold. Not and there sold. are – there are numbers that say that uh, Baker plays better when he uh, when he is not surrounded uh, by Odell was, on the field. I was part of that. I was part of that train. He's been Pat's pounding it. He's pounding that right there. All right, lane number three. We'll close out the show on a very high note here. Coming off the Cleveland Browns, actually, real quick on the Browns, Pat. What what are you what are you thinking for them right now? We're looking at some AFC North odds. We got a log jam at the top. 
not a lot of value there really with them and the Baltimore Ravens. Doesn't depends on what book you look at. You can see the Browns favored by over the Ravens or the Ravens favored over the Browns. But right now, out of that duo, who do you think you would take? The Pittsburgh Steelers with the best defense in the NFL. I mean, they they won 12 straight to start the year last year. I mean, there's not a lot making me believe that the Steelers can't run back and win the division again because, I mean, their defense is not going to get worse, really, for the most part. They should improve on offense. Lost, with who who did you add on defense? You lost Hilton and Bud Dupree. Who did you add? The, I, they can – they can replace those. Those aren't those aren't the Next major. Next man up on the Acme, on the on the old Acme, okay. Acme Pittsburgh. Yeah, they line. added. They basically added Devin Bush, who had a torn ACL last year. They okay. mean so. Well, we'll put that one in the. We'll put that out there. So we know Pat, Pat. Pat is not worried. Pat is ready to defend the AFC North title, and he honestly shouldn't be. I'm not going to sit here and throw stones as a Bengals fan, uh, <laughs> seeing seeing where they have been. After I wrote a piece on all Bengals, go ahead and check that out, people. Allbengals.com about the Bengals being in a similar position, uh, Pat, to 10 years ago when they had three straight great drafts, go to the playoffs for five consecutive years, but you're helmed by Andy Dalton. Now, if you have three straight great da- drafts and go to the playoffs five consecutive years, you damn sure better be doing something else than losing <laughs> all those games with Joe Burrow. And that's what I wrote about for all Bengals this week. Lane number three, closing out the show, it's Jackie Robinson Day, Pat. Uh, sending all of our honor, our our love towards uh, one of the greatest athletes in American sports history, arguably the most impactful American athlete of all time, Jackie Robinson, uh, just a, a great, great voice for the sport, a great figure, broke the color barrier, and has uh, has gone on to do great things ever since. Uh, his uh, his time with the Brooklyn Dodgers starting in 1947. On this day in 1947, April 15th, a day where all players now wear uh, Jackie Robinson's number 42 to honor the man, and a, another player will never wear that number again. The last one, Pat, quick, uh, we'll start it off with a little fun fact here. The last player to pitch in the major leagues or play in the major leagues and wear Jackie Robinson's number. I kind of gave it away right there. Let's see. I'll, I'll, another another trivia session here. Who do you think it is? He retired in 2013. It's a hint. It's the that last player much, to wear 42. That's much more recent than I would have expected. I feel like I remember a fat reliever wearing number 42. <laughs> All right. Five. Heath, four. Heath Bell. Heath Bell. <laughs> Mariano Rivera. Oh, that's right. Oh, my the God. last right. one to do it. I wouldn't have – if I didn't read that, Pat, I wouldn't have got it. Don't don't beat yourself up there. But they made yeah. sure to not allow any other players to wear the number starting in 1997. So Rivera uh, got his career rolling in 1995 and uh, went on to be the last player to wear it. And our guy, Ken Griffey Jr., also responsible for everyone wearing the the, uh, the number on Jackie Robinson Day. He started the, uh, he started the honor, I think, in – in uh, what was it, two thousand? Let's see, what does it say here? Thirteen two thousand seven. He started. He oh, he was like he said. Ago. Quote. I said, would it be possible? He was talking to uh, to uh, the commissioner, Commissioner Seeley. Griffey was. Would it be possible if I wore forty two on Jackie Robinson Day? Quote. We had a ten minute conversation, and Commissioner Seeley said, "Is it okay if I call Rachel and ask if it's okay?" Uh, Seeley called her, 
and then uh, got the okay, called Griffey back the next day, and here we are, Pat. All uh, all the players, uh, whatever thousands there are in the uh, in the major leagues, were that number now. So, and it, it's awesome. Don't you just love you just love everything about the stories baseball it's such a perfect baseball day you know yeah. like it just produces the best stories and the most feel-good wholesome things you can just go on and on and on i wish i was prepared with more of them we should have just a whole baseball episode where we just talk about baseball stories because it's probably we'll have, we'll have to make that all-star weekend we'll do a, we'll oh, do a yeah. full full baseball week that's going to be an all baseball all the time week that's gonna be perfect that'll fit perfectly in there but one more story that i wanted to share uh, about Jackie Robinson. This is less of a fun fact and more of just a fun, heartwarming, uh, fun, heartwarming tale, a true tale uh, between him and George Shuba, Pat, his teammate on the uh, on the Montreal minor league team, the Montreal Royals that he played for before heading to the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, they got uh, got together for a game in 19, this was what, 1946, April 18th, 1946, the first game Jackie Robinson played at the minor league level for the Royals. He had an uh, an unbelievable day, I think like four RBIs, you know, a classic Jackie Robinson tale. He comes out there and just smacks it all around the yard. And George Shuba, uh, obviously his white teammate, uh, Robinson, the only black player on the team, came out to home plate after Jackie Robinson rounded uh, third and headed home for his final scored run and, and shook his hand. And uh, there's a really great piece on the undefeated. You can check that out there. There's a great video accompaniment there. And it actually happened in Youngstown, Ohio. That's uh, that's where they are going to be enshrining this moment. There's a, a statue going up uh, surrounding everything. And uh, it's being cast and forged in New York right now in, in the uh, Brooklyn borough. So we will soon see that in Youngstown, Ohio. And who would have thought, Pat? Youngstown, Ohio, home of the grit. Youngstown. It's showing close, the uh, showing the gritty initial. I don't know if you know. Is that your home? What, what, what do you got? But both of my parents were born and raised in, in the great land of Youngstown. There if you, you do not know, I still have plenty of relatives out there in Youngstown. So very near and dear to my heart, the gritty, the gritty land of Youngstown. Youngstown, gotta love. It. I might have to make a make a little sabbatical out there. Is, oh, is it on the way to? Is, is it on, on the, the way, way to the Hall of Fame? <laughs> I'm not going to go to Youngstown just to see the statue. <laughs> But maybe if it's on the way to Canton or something, how about yeah? But we'll we'll work it in. We'll work it into the road trip, the Great American Road Trip, Pat. We'll work that in. All right, here we go. Anything else? Uh, anything else to touch on before we? I mean, there's got to be a couple of things. I mean, since the last time I've been on, there have been two no hitters. So that's kind of yes. cool, right? Yes. Thank you for reminding my buddy. Pat was at the no hitter last night in Chicago. He went how about that to the game. How about and I go, that? I go. Uh, my buddy Lucas Moore. I go. Do uh did you get any video of the final pitch? Like, did you get anything? He's like, he's like, he's like, nope. He gave me a little wink over text. We did not get video of the final pitch. I was like, <laughs> okay, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on here. He's like, yeah, but he's like, my mom and girlfriend got video. I think I don't, I don't, I don't know. That <laughs> but hey, Rodon, awesome. Ro, what was it? What's his first? I forget his first name. Carlos. Carlos Rodon. Yeah. And uh, I heard somebody. It was so sad, Pat. I I saw the no hitter. And then somebody ran through his story where he got injured. He was a top pick. And the first thing I see is a quote tweet of it saying, this reminds me a lot like Homer Bailey. It's like, come oh, on. We gotta, we're got we going to give that guy Homer Bailey? It's like, at least – I mean, Homer's got two no-hitters. That was great. He's not doing too bad. I mean, that's, that's awesome, though. I was actually at Scooter Jeanette's four-home run game in Cincinnati. Oh, so that's even more rare than like a perfect game. But I think is it rare? Moment, what? How many? Per, how many? How many four home run games have? Is it I like right there like with perfect 15. games? Yeah, there's only like 15 or something like that. And 
you don't really understand. I didn't even know what was happening. I feel like it would be much more fun to be even at a no hitter, a perfect game, just because of the suspense of it. You know, it's up there. Everybody knows it. The four, the four home run was a little different. I, I but I mean, it's quite kind of hits you in the face like a semi, as opposed yeah. to the slow well, like, roll of a like a cement cement flattener or something like that. Of a, of a yeah, home and home we didn't even really know the like the exact. I mean, I'm a huge baseball guy. I didn't know the rarity of the four home run game until I even left. And so I feel like something like a no hitter, a perfect game is just like obvious in the moment. It was, that was something that was a little different. So I'm very jealous of everyone who's been able to experience the pitch. Well, how about, um, uh, it was, I, forget, I think it was Baldarelli, the catcher for, um, for the no hitter with the Padres had also caught Alec Mills, no hitter last year. And that was the last no hitter in the, in the MLB. So he becomes the first catcher since, the Reds Kyle Hannigan to catch the back the same or back to back no hitters in Major League Baseball's timeline. So how about that? He's and I think he's the first one ever in Major League history to switch teams and catch the next no hitter because Kyle Hannigan obviously did it with with uh, with with Homer Bailey twice. So that is wild. Got a, 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 the baseball stats. They're never ending. <laughs> They're so much fun. I love them. Joe Musgrove. Shout out him. He was a San Diego kid. Pat. And he gets the team's first no hitter. That's just meant to be. That's that's sports in a nutshell. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. And then yeah, the first one in team history for the Padres. We thought it would be the last team to do it. It had every other team. Really? How about I mean, awesome stuff. We thought it'd be Slam Diego and Joe Musgrove is out there twirling the ball. I saw a tweet that said maybe the best uh best uh job on a resume to have right now would be former Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher. Because if we go through the Major League Base, we got Joe Musgrove throwing no hitter. We got you know Tyler Glasnow who might win Cy Young. Garrett Cole is literally swimming in money. I mean, we could go on and on about the uh, future Pirates <laughs> or the former Pirates pitchers that just are dominating the rest of Major League Baseball right now. They got that great park though, Pat. They got that beautiful <laughs> park that beautiful baseball park this has been a beautiful episode of ryan the three by three thank you everyone for watching listening go ahead and check out the live stream if you missed any of it on twitter and facebook uh pat will be throwing that one to retweet so you can check it on his page at patrick fetch i'm at russ Hellman 11 and you can check it out on facebook as well have a great weekend everybody we'll be right back here on monday